Uh, welcome to the Acknowledge of Everything. I am Rosie. I'm Hope, and this week we're continuing our The Olympics Are Fucked series. <laughs> Woo! Um, so this week we're kind of talking about three incidences that have happened in recent Olympics within the past like 30 years or so. Um, I'm trying to, gonna try to also keep this one to an hour because it's very meaty. There's a lot to go through here. And then I was thinking maybe we do one where we talk about good things that have happened at the Olympics, despite bad things, not just like okay. good, inherently good things, but maybe that like, like the, so the two, we'll get into it. That's a future episode coming, but I'll tell you about it later. <clears throat> so this week we're going to talk about Surya Bonali, and I would say Bonali, but she's French. So I think I have to say it in a French accent, but I'm probably mostly going to call her Surya <laughs> to not okay. mess it up. And then we're going to talk about um, more Winter Olympics. And after we talk about some gymnastics, I'm just going to get into it. I'm just going to start the episode. Yeah, let's get into it. So Surya Bonnelly, I think most people are going to know her as the woman who did the illegal backflip in ice skating. So ice skating mm-hmm. is a winter Olympic sport. Um, so at age four, Surya developed a passion for gymnastics, training with Eric ha- Hagard, the current coach of the multiple European medalists, Melanie de Jesus dos Santos. I said that completely wrong. I apologize. Despite Surya's love for gymnastics as a teenager, it was nevertheless figure skating that really fascinated her. So that's important. Forced to specialize, she chose figure skating. Nicole Erdos indicates that Bonnelly's gymnastics practice strengthened her more than other skaters, giving her an advantage on the ice. So when she was little, she, I think she did a bunch of sports and she really liked gymnastics and figure skating. So she kind of had like a different ice skating upbringing than other figure skaters. It was like cross training, which I mean- that's generally good in other departments. I know That's, that, I know I've heard that um, like football players will sometimes like do other sports or like, um, yes. oh, or like uh, M- Michael Jordan, like part of his whole regimen is meditating as well. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, a bunch of well, different things you can do to help you. Lynn Swan played for the Steelers and also practiced ballet. So he would be better at jumping. That's what it is. I was trying to think of the, like, I was like, I know I've heard football players do something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was Lynn Swan. Shout out. Um, So the media often criticized Surya's mother, Suzanne Bonnelly, for allegedly being too strict with her daughter. Surya being unable to enjoy a social life because of her schedule and her responsibility for Surya's skating style since Suzanne Bonnelly is a physical education teacher and would rather tend towards having athletic prowess rather than having the grace of a dancer. Surya goes to bed at nine, is forbidden to eat sugar, runs every morning, but for the young skater, it is a habit and not a constraint. Suzanne Bonnelly believes that the critics are rooted in jealousy. Bonnelly moved in with her mother, moved with her mother to Pragolan, somewhere in France where she trained far away from the public eye. Pro, Prolognan la venoise. I took Latin. I had, this all looks like, no, thank you. If I saw it written out, I might be able to pronounce it, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt that. I'm sorry okay. to people who live there. <laughs> Bonnelly was the first female ski- figure skater to attempt a quadruple jump to- 
in competition at the 1990 European Championships. So while we're talking about all these stories about figure skating, keep in mind that the 90s are like the golden age of figure skating. Like, do you remember that? Like Michelle Kwan and like I do. all of this stuff that was happening and that one lady who came in and wasn't expected to win. So she just like went out and performed and ended up getting the gold. Like figure skating was a big deal in the 90s. This is, we're coming I, into the 90s now. Yeah, I definitely remember Michelle Kwan being really big and famous. She was a BFD. Time. She was a yeah, BFD for sure. She was. She tried at least 13 times to do the quadruple loop and or the quadruple Sal Chow in competition. Two attempts at quad jumps at the 1990 European Championships, a quad toe toe loop attempt at the 1990 World Championships, a quad toe loop attempt at the 1990 Goodwill Games, a quad Sal Chow attempt at the 1990 Trophy Lake, a quad, she tried up and through like 96. Like she was trying to do quadruple, which is when you, you know, I'm go up and you spin four times before you land. Yeah. Very hard. I think like Tanya Harding's big thing was the triple, right? So quadruple I think, would be fucking I think, insane. Yeah. Yeah. She landed four times the quad toe loop in competition at the 1991 World Com- Championships, at the 1991 NHK Trophy, at the 92 Olympic Games, and at the 92 World Champs, but always with incomplete rotation. I think you have to make a full 180, right? 360, 360. At 360, yeah. Yeah. At the 1990 European Championships in Leningrad, she was the first figure skater to attempt two different quads in the same free skate. (sighs) At the 1994 World Championships in Cuba, in, nope, excuse me, Chiba, Japan, Bonnelly's final overall score was equal to home country favorite Yuka Sato, who would be awarded the gold medal after a five to four tiebreaker decision. Surya is a black girl from mm-hmm. France who was raised by white parents. So we're getting into how the Olympics really value aesthetics, especially for women yeah. over their actual athleticism. Bonnelly expected the judges to reward her for improving her gracefulness, having stopped trying to land quadruple jumps and having improved them from the previous championships where she also finished second. Bonnelly also cut her thickly braided ponytail because the judges didn't like it. This is getting into how black women are punished for having hair that they grew naturally. Yeah, hair that doesn't look like white people's hair. That's a that's a red flag. She claims to have made concessions to better suit the expectations of the judges without ever being rewarded for her work. Bonnelly told the French podcast, Sergio Bonnelly, Court et la mes. I don't know what that means. Um, I did everything. I want to read all these like it's Latin. So I want to say corpse et la mes, which isn't what it is. It's something like, in French. <laughs> it's like uh, body. I'm, I'm not going to try my French accent. Hasn't... Yeah, no. I did everything I could, but I didn't paint myself white, that's for sure. Upset by the Mm. result, Bonnelly stood beside the medals platform rather than on it. She eventually was coaxed onto the platform, but took off her silver medal after it was presented to her. She was immediately booed by the crowd. After the medals presentation, Bonnelly's only statement to reporters was, I'm just not lucky. That takes uh, some serious balls. Yeah, it does. Here's your yeah, civil medal. Just... She says, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, to not just suck it up and stand there and like, you know, act mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I came in second and that was fair. Yeah. She's like, nah, nah, this is, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. 
the international interesting judge... it kind of reminds me of something that happened recently mm. Mm. and you know she would have been praised yeah that she was a white girl for mm-hmm. doing something like this but also she wouldn't be in this position yeah she's a white girl the international judge Anne Hardy Thomas, absent from this competition, commented on the judge's decision. She stated that the judges are under great pressure, their names being displayed opposite their notes. She herself said that she sometimes put a second, put second a French skater to avoid being accused of favoritism. Two main clans stand out, the Anglo-Saxons and the countries of the Eastern Bloc. American, judge, American judges look for a graceful skater who meets the beauty standards while European judges favor athletics and creativity, which benefits Bonnelly. And I feel like, isn't the Olympics supposed to be an athletic event? And should we be considering athletics above Not- other things above? I mean, Eating? okay. I understand if you're putting on a show, like you're going to have costumes, you're going to be like made up and like have your right. hair done certain ways, et cetera. Like, I understand right. that. I, I know it's part of it. But I don't think it should be such a big part that you get scored down if you don't. Especially conform. with ice skating, it's such a women's sport and it's such a beauty competition because of that. Yeah. Like the International Federation first thought of punishing her for her behavior, then they changed their mind, believing that the justified disappointment of the skater was a sufficient mitigating circumstance. During the season, Bonnelly was coached by Suzanne Bonnelly and Tatiana Tarasova in Marlboro, United States. Prior to the 98 Winter Olympics in Nagano, Nagano, Japan. Nagano? Nagano? Yep, thank you. <laughs> Bonnelly ruptured her Achilles tendon. She placed sixth in the short program. Unable to complete her planned routine or a successful triple Lutz due to injury, she decided to perform a backflip with a split landing on one blade during the free skate. This move is now dubbed a Bonnelly. So instead, I'm just picturing what that looks like. And wow. Oh my God. You have to. I'm hurt. So I'm just going to do this instead. I'm hurt. So I'm (laughs) going to do a backflip and land on one skate. She like flips and her one leg comes down, followed by her other leg. So she supported. So I can post it. Oh, it's so good. It's so like, and there's just like compilations of her doing it over and over and over again. And I'm just like, what? Why was this? Why are we talking about this? Like, this? I don't get it. It's intense. Backflips had been banned since 1976 from competitions held under ISU rules. Having landed it on one foot, Bonnelly hoped to not get a deduction, but she ended up having her points deducted. Nonetheless, she was content with her decision to perform the move. That's how you know you're the GOAT. That's how you know when you're like, I can't do this traditional one, so I'm going to throw myself into a backflip what and it's like it's not a normal backflip because she's got momentum from skating backwards she like plants her foot down does the backflip and then she's still moving like it's not yeah, like a backflip into the water on ice yeah <laughs> right. oh my god that's yeah I I mean just just doing I mean I I haven't been ice skating that much because it wasn't really a, a big thing where I grew up but no, me neither. like the couple times I've been ice skating I it definitely it gave me a lot of respect for people who are really good at it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, this it's, is what I really. It's not like. easy. This is what I really like. Bonnelly is the only Olympic figure skater to land a backflip only on one blade. Anne Hardy Thomas, the French judge of the event, was approached by the technical delegate who told her that Bonnelly was insolent and had behaved unacceptably. The judge replied, "She did well for all the past years. She finished tenth in how do you say it? 
Nagano. Nagano. Yeah, I think and so. retired from amateur competition after the event. No one else has attempted this in like 30 years, which I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that. But I'm also a little bit like, why is nobody else trying this? Like, I know it's like probably very dangerous because <laughs> you probably have to have like a really strong background in gymnastics as well. Yeah. And a lot of figure skaters don't have that is my I, assumption. I bet. I bet it's also that's one of the first things they tell you when they start when they're like, don't do this. Yeah, but. There, yeah, there's like, probably stigma around it. And and also if you know that you're gonna get uh points deducted for that for whatever, or you think you are for whatever reason. I Although just, I, I do wonder if a white woman d- did it if mm-hmm. if she would be praised because or if a white man did this. Yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna get into what's called the ice princess. So those are girls who are like, look more like ballerinas and they're very dancer and they're very pretty, very aesthetically like pleasing, I guess. So Mm -hmm. while judges may love ice princesses, a much debated term describing women and girls who skate with the right and arbitrary mix of finesse and athleticism, the public seems more partial partial to quote unquote bad girls. These ladies are social and physical, physical boundary pushers. So now it's talking about Tonya Harding. Harding earned the title. Yeah, I figured when you said bad (laughs) girls, I kind of figured we're uh, We're going to Harding. (laughs) Harding earned the title because of her connection to her attack on Kerrigan, which we will talk about later. Bonnelly was crowned when she knowingly performed an illegal move, a one-legged backflip at the 98 Nagano Olympics. Videos are all over the internet of her infamous one-legged backflip called the Bonnelly. And at the time, she refused to accept a silver medal at the 94 World Championships because she thought she deserved the gold. So... She was adopted and raised in Southern France by a white French couple. Yeah. Okay. So now this is her talking in her own words. Finally said that always going the extra mile is a rule she stuck by since she first began figure skating as a young child in France. Even if it was just some push-ups, if someone asked me to do 20, I would do 30. I think that has helped me through life by always giving me more. She told CNBC, explaining that it almost felt natural to do so because she is passionate about her sport. Being a woman of color and figure skating also, also formed part of this motivation and determination to excel. Bonnelly said in feeling like she had to do more than okay to be accepted. Yeah, and I think that she's right. That's a common, that's a common thing that um, I've heard people of color say that they have in, to do in a lot of places like not not just in sports in like, the workplace yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that you have to be so much more to get not 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 nearly as much yeah like I mean like look at like celebrity chefs like I'm sure there are a lot of good black chefs out there but how many do you see on television like that yep. it's just a thing that comes to mind but yeah yep oof Yeah. She also said in the talk that it was her mother who encouraged her to practice certain so-called forbidden jumps, such as her (laughs) backflip. In fact, her mother eventually became her full-time trainer after Bonnelly was told off by her coach for trying such moves. So her mom kind of encouraged this rebellious spirit and being like, no, yeah, you can do that. That's fine. Which I like. Yeah. I like that too, because I mean, I think that that does uh, embrace the spirit of, uh, of figure skating as a sport, you know, the athleticism as opposed to, oh, we're not going to do that because like Mm -hmm. what other people can't do it. I like, yeah. Yeah. In an interview with the BBC, when asked if she ever felt that felt that things were harder for her as one of the first black figure skaters, Bonnelly stated, it was a mix of so many things first, because I was black 
for sure. And I didn't try to copy anyone. Second, because I came from a small country. Third, third, because I've had different hairstyle and look. And also because my mother made my skating costumes for so many years. All those things together was just too much for some people to handle. Yeah. Unfortunate. I had to hiccup. I'm sorry. It is unfortunate. In an it's interview, more than unfortunate. It's really unfair. But yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's not great. It's uh, a crime. <laughs> yeah. In an interview with The Root, Bonnelly stated, race matters for sure, because I know that if I had been white, I would have had more endorsement contracts and been bigger. And then she elaborated on the matter in a 2007 book that I can't pronounce because it's in French. I am sorry. There aren't many black figure skaters in the world and France is starting to get better. If I were white, I would have been a gold medalist a long time ago. My motto was to tell myself that there was this obstacle, but that I had to go beyond and work more because I knew it would be harder for me. I told myself that if I, if my rival made five triples, I had to make seven. I tried not to think about my race, even if it was a reality, but how much influence race had on my marks, 2% more. I don't know. If I were light skinned, it probably would have been easier. I preferred to be philosophical about it since I was, evolving with white parents so now recently she takes parts in sorry i just i I looked at the name of her book and i believe it's uh i believe the pronunciation is something like a l'enfant du soleil but that's there's no way for me to know if you're right (laughs) my my uh, my french is not i it's pretty much non-existent and i have a tiny understanding of the accent but not that much right because you working as a chef you eat a lot of french stuff right yeah we did although it's usually like americanized version so it's <laughs> like mise en place instead of like saying the thing correctly you'd say like mise en place which is a terrible uh it's a terrible pronunciation is. of a french term it's when you get all of the stuff ready for the for whatever you're making so like if you mm. had all your veggies diced up for a stir fry or whatever it's like mise ah. en place. but it's the French pronunciation, I don't even know because I am so used to saying <laughs> yeah. it the American way, but yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's places around Pittsburgh, like there's North for sales and South for sales. It's Versailles. It's Versailles. Yeah. No, it's not in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so now recently, uh, Bonnelly takes part in numerous conferences and events, which aim to encourage the participation of people of color in sport. Um, she participated in numerous PETA campaigns against Canada's seal hunt and the fur trade. She's also against bullfighting mm-hmm. and requested to be received by the then president of France, Nicolas Sarkozy, who received her at the Elysee Palace, Palace, that's just Palace, <laughs> on September 26, 2007. In order to address the abolition of bullfighting, it was prohi- and the prohibited entry in bullfighting arenas to children under 16. She was a member of the Federal Council of the French Federation of Ice Sports from 2010 to 2014. She was also the cultural attache for the Monaco Consulate in Las Vegas. She's an American citizen now, like she lives here. Um, she was an ambassador of the Association, Association France, <laughs> France of Talents and Colors, which aims to fight racism, violence, and discrimination in sport. So now she's just a coach, I think. Not just a coach, like she's coaching. She's not yeah. doing Olympic stuff anymore, but that was Surya Bonnelly, which. Well, well, I imagine for her, like being a coach of Olympiads might be, and I'm, I'm just speculating here, but it might be even kind of depressing because like having your experience yeah. be negative in so many ways, you might be like, no, I want to still do this, do stuff in this sport arena, but not with the Olympics. Yeah. You know, I could see that. 
So we're going to keep talking about ice skating and we are going to talk about Tonya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan and that scandal, which was the movie came out in 2017 with Margot Robbie called I, Tonya, which I have not seen yet. I, um, I've seen it. I, I have to say, I, I don't, I haven't looked up the accuracy. I know it's not all, it's not all accurate because that's just right. how movies go. But I will say, I think that Margot Robbie did a really, a really good job. Like she was really compelling and I, uh, Sebastian stands at it too, but he's an asshole. So it's hard to root for him. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Alison Janney as the mom. <laughs> Alison Janney as the mom was really good, even though the mom's like a shitty character, but I think yeah. she really went hard into it. So it's, it's a very entertaining movie, but I'm not sure about how much of it is accurate. So for those who don't know, or maybe some of our younger listeners, uh, Harding became embroiled in controversy when her ex-husband, Jeff Jaluli, orchestrated- Jaluli. Jaluli, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's a good- <laughs> <laughs> orchestrated an attack on her fellow u.s skating rival nancy kerrigan harding was always so it was like before the trials for the olympics or like some big date for like qualifying for the olympics nancy kerrigan had just finished skating and there's like docking there's footage of this on youtube she goes behind a curtain and then the next shot is her on the floor crying because somebody attacked her knee with a police baton but the way that he was supposed to hit her knee, which would have shattered it, and he hit just above it, and he didn't hit the muscle right above it, which could have become calcified. So he actually hit her in the direct right spot to not do anything. <laughs> like, it hurt, and I think yeah. it scared her. But, but like, it, yeah. He, uh, he he biffed it, <laughs> as it were. I mean, I, I guess if, you're, if people are going to be doing shitty, horrible things on your behalf the have it be buffoons who do it wrong is the so, last take yeah. there. some more context so they're both chosen for the u.s olympic team um for the 98 winter olympics harding was always portrayed as the stonewashed denim bad girl from the wrong side of the rink kerrigan the clean-cut kid with the wholesome backstory one skated to heavy metal and danced in homemade costumes the other did campbell suit commercials i mean if you can skate to heavy you know, metal, why wouldn't you? <laughs> and and also, like, I feel like um I feel like Tanya Harding would have done Campbell's soup commercials if she had been offered the endorsement, but mm-hmm. I think that she didn't get it's my understanding she didn't get as many endorsement deals right. because of the way that she looked and presented yes. herself. So um as Nanette Bernstein's documentary makes clear, the Kerrigan-Harding affair unfolded in a commercial landscape in which economic potential hinges on appearance as much as it does athleticism. So we're going to get into kind of what we talked about last episode with like the media frenzy that surrounds the Olympics and how the media can really spin a narrative that might may or may not be true, mm-hmm. um, as it was in the case of Richard Jewell. By the early 90s, Kerrigan and Harding were toe-to-toe in an American figure skating competition, which, again, golden age of ice skating. When it yeah. came to monetizing their skills, Kerrigan was skating on an elevated plane. The both athletes emerged from working-class backgrounds. Kerrigan was blessed with patrician good looks and a sophisticated air that easily courted corporate sponsorships and Hollywood attention. Nancy looked like she was wealthy, is how Boston Globe reporter John Powers puts it in the documentary. Harding Harding counters Connie Chung was the girl with frizzy blonde hair from the wrong side of the tracks. 
and their performance styles reinforced the divide, while Harding's powered through technical routines, Kerrigan danced. So Kerrigan's face soon became, became as famous as her feats on the ice. She began, she began raking in endorsements early in her career, filming spots for Campbell's Soup, L'Oreal, and Reebok. In 92, she starred in a televised Christmas special. But even when Harding became the first American woman to land a triple axle in competition in 91, no one wanted her to sell anything. She was a great skater. I was a great skater. But she was treated like this big queen, Harding says in the documentary. She's a princess and I'm a pile of crap. <laughs> and if that isn't the most relatable <laughs> shit I've ever heard, being somebody who was always yeah. like way more strong than I was pretty. Like <laughs> it it sounds like um it sounds like most of the comparisons I've heard of the two of them, it's like even though they were both from working class backgrounds like Nancy Kerrigan played the part of a rich kid well enough, mm-hmm. whereas Tanya Harding just didn't. She which, didn't give a fuck. Yeah, it, but you shouldn't have to play that part if it's really about athleticism. Right. Ugh. At this, one point- I, Figure skating is such a like, it's such a weird topic because mm-hmm. it's it's such an athletic sport and it takes so much- skill but there's so uh, much on top of it yeah there's so much on top of it and especially since it's such a female driven sport yeah like you look at that you're like oh it's oh it's sexism that that's what it is it's you know the, it's not it. enough to just be <laughs> really good at your sport you also have to like dress up and look pretty and it has to be the right kind of pretty etc etc and you have to be good in front of the cameras when you're not yeah. skating yeah at one point in the film, Harding recalls wearing a bright pink costume in competition that she had sewn herself. It was really pretty, she says, but one of the judges came up after, to me afterwards and said, if you ever wear anything like that again at a U.S. competition championship, you will never do another one. Harding shot back that until the judges gave her $5,000 to buy a designer piece, you can get out of my face. Meanwhile, as Sarah Marshall <laughs> detailed in The Believer this month, Kerrigan had Vera Wang designing oh. her costumes um sarah marshall i think is um if it's the same sarah marshall is which it I believe it is, uh no <laughs> no uh, sarah marshall is uh is a writer and a podcaster and the i, I mentioned you're wrong about i think on our last mm-hmm. podcast that they had done uh at least an episode or maybe a series on tanya harding so i think it's the same sarah marshall <laughs> yeah so that's fun she's a good now, source now we're getting back into talking about discrepancies between different athletes. Maria Sharapova earned almost twice as much as endorsement money as Serena Williams, 23 million to 12 million, even though Williams has racked up twice as many points as Sharapova in singles competitions over the past year and has been Sharapova 14 consecutive times. 12 million is still a decent amount of scratch and Sharapova is also an excellent player, but the fact remains that Williams has to work harder to make less money. You'd be hard for us to find a popular male athlete who doesn't also have physicality and sex appeal. Kevin Adler, founder of Engage Marketing, told Women's Wear Daily last year in a piece about the tenuous marketability of women in sports. But that comes second to winning for guys, whereas for female athletes, looks comes first. And for women, having the look requires appearing feminine enough to neutralize the masculine connotations of athleticism in general by dressing in pageant-ready costumes or hitting Playboy-esque poses. 
A slate writer, Hannah Rosen, observed during the 2010 Olympics, the marketability of female athletes continues to hinge on fulfilling either a virginal ice princess ideal or a bikini-clad ski bunny one. This weekend, the U.S. Figure Skating Association made a rare move by naming 22-year-old Ashley Wagner to the Olympic team, even though she failed to crack the top three at the National Figure Skating Championships that traditionally served as the unofficial Olympic trials. Was the decision to boost Wagner a calculated choice based on her skating record, or was the decision influenced by the fact that the Figure Skating Association and NBC had already begun framing the life blonde Wagner as their media darling? When it comes to the business of women's sports, it's impossible to tell. Mm. Yeah, so uh, not only were we not allowed in the Olympics for a long time, now that we're there, we have it very hard. Uh, all right so back to tanya harding skating for tanya is her ticket out of the gutter that's what figure skating coach diane rollinson said of the rising teen star tonya harding who she had plucked from a broken portland home and shot onto the ice in the mid 80s she lives in a terrible rental house there's no supervision at all she has no direction tonya would have nothing in her life if it wasn't for her skating that's a lot of flagrant opinions from an adult about a child <laughs> I, it is Ugh. i mean yeah it is but i have heard she has a very she had had her very rough home life that might be true that i'm sure that's but you true. don't need to broadcast that why shit. is that why yeah i don't know anything about any of the olympic olympians like that's home true life. it shouldn't be relevant because if nancy kerrigan's home life like wasn't relevant to the same degree right. then that shows a dis- is, um, imbalance there this is getting into like celebrity culture and like us thinking that we are allowed to be privy to every aspect of their lives and we're not yeah we're not uh i, I think uh, another good point made by uh sarah marshall uh when and i don't know which episode she said this on it might have been multiple ones but it was I think she said something along the lines of uh, celebrity is inherently abusive. It is. uh, Which makes total sense. I hadn't really thought of it that way before, but it is because you can't control it. And it's not like everyone, Mm -hmm. even people who want to be famous, don't want all of the stuff that comes with it. And yet it's thrust upon them. (sighs) Rewatching that Olympic final brings other subtleties back to the fore. It is easy to forget what a great skater Harding was. Athletic where Kerrigan was balletic the first American woman to land a triple axle in competition. If her aesthetic is uncomplicated, a maroon outfit for the free skating Lil Hammer to Kerrigan's Puritan White, song from Jurassic Park, her soundtrack, her performance is all speed and heightened spins. That 94 women's final shown on a tape delay to make up for the time difference broke television audience records in the U.S. Only two Super Bowls had ever drawn more viewers to a sporting event. Yeah. So that's the other thing. I'll get into it in a second. On January 6, 1994, one day before the U.S. Figure Skating Championship First Lady single lady Singles Competition, Nancy Kerrigan was attacked in a corridor after a practice session at the Detroit Kobo Arena. The immediate aftermath of the attack was recorded on a news camera and broadcast around the world. The assailant was Shane Stant, contract, con- <clears throat> contracted to break her knee. He turned himself into Phoenix FBI on January 14. Stant and his uncle, Derek Smith, were hired for this assault by Harding's ex-husband, Jeff Gilluli. Gilluli. Gilluli, and her one-time bodyguard, Sean Eckert. 
After failing to find Kerrigan in Massachusetts, Stant had taken a 20-hour bus trip to Detroit. Nancy Kerrigan was walking behind a curtain when Stant rushed behind her. Using both hands, he then swung a 21-inch ASP telescopic baton at her right leg, striking her above the knee. So it's a police police baton. Not a lead pipe, which a lot of people are under the impression that it was. The attack was intended to seriously injure Kerrigan so that she could not compete in the nationals. Kerrigan was the defending 93 champion, nor the Winter Olympics. Kerrigan's leg was not broken, but severely bruised, forcing her to withdraw from the championships and forgo competing to retain the U.S. ladies title. On January 8, Harding won the U.S. title. She and Kerrigan were then both selected for the 94 Olympic team. So this is... She was wearing a white lace outfit. She was wearing something that was very, like, girly and flowy. And then she gets hit, and you watch the video, and she's just, like, crying. And you, she really looks like a little kid. Like, she yeah. looks like, like, she's just, like... This is the picture of innocence. Yeah. And she's like, why would somebody do this? Someone help me. And like, she gets carried out by a guy. It's like a lot of imagery that really worked in her favor and against anybody else. And that's not her fault. Like it wasn't, she wasn't, didn't know this was going to happen. She wasn't planning on like getting attacked. But yeah. And your reaction is going to be your reaction when you get (laughs) attacked like that. So, and it's, it's, it's a lot to take in. So on January 18, 94, Harding was with her lawyers when she submitted to questioning by the DA and FBI. She was interviewed for over 10 hours. Eight oh. hours into the interview, her lawyer read a statement announcing her separation from Jeff Gilluli. Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I continue to believe that Jeff is innocent of any wrongdoing. I wish him nothing but the best. Her full FBI transcript was press released on February 1. The Seattle Times reported the transcript stating that Harding had changed her story well into a long interview. After hours of denying any involvement and trying to cover up the plot, an FBI agent finally told her that he knew she had lied to him, that he would tell her exactly how she had lied to him. In the transcript's final passage, Harding stated, I hope everyone understands. I'm telling on someone I really care about. I now know Jeff is involved. I'm sorry. On January 19, Jeff surrendered to the FBI. On January 20, Diane Sawyer asked Harding on primetime about the criminal investigation. The Olympics haven't started yet. Like, we're not even there yet. She's supposed to be training right now, and instead she's conducting 10-hour interviews. Oh, my God. (sighs) Harding said she had done nothing wrong. On January 27, it was reported that Julie had been testifying about the attack plot since January 26th possibly implicating Harding as having allegedly assisted. Harding's close friend, Stephanie Quintero, with whom she was living, spoke to reporters on her behalf. Tonya was shocked, very hurt. She was believing in Jeff. Harding later held an 11 a.m. press conference to read a prepared statement. She said she was sorry Nancy Kerrigan was attacked, that she respected Nancy and claimed not to know in advance of the plot to disable her. Harding then publicly took responsibility for failing to report things about the assault when I returned home from Nationals on January 10th. My failure to immediately report this information is not a crime. Many state laws, including Oregon, certify that the act of concealing criminal knowledge alone is not a crime. The attack on Kerrigan received a substantial amount of publicity and news media crews camped outside her home. In January of 94, this story was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Newsweek, and Time. There's now much speculation about Harding's alleged involvement in the assault plot. 
because Harding and Kerrigan would be representing the U.S. in the February Lillehammer Olympics, speculation reached a media frenzy. It's just, it's basically, it's like the media turned on her. Um, I'm sorry, I know this is a serious moment, but Luna behind you is like aggressively bathing and it's just, it's cute because her head keeps popping in and out of the frame. They only <laughs> aggressively bathe. They don't so I just do see it. this like <laughs> So the media goes nuts. On February 1794, Nancy Kerrigan and Harding shared the ice at a practice session in the Hammer Olympic Amphitheater. Approximately 400 members of the press were there to document this practice. They had to triple security for this. Scott Hamilton believed that the sport was depicted as a tabloid event. It was noted that Nancy Kerrigan chose to wear the same skating costume at the practice session that she was wearing when Stan attacked her. Kerrigan later confirmed that her choice of dress that day was deliberate. Humor is good. It's empowering. That's not funny. Like, that's not... Interesting. Well... I mean, it, I, I I don't know. Like, it, I, I would look at it from her perspective where, like, if if you got attacked and you knew that people were showing up to see, like, well, what's going to happen and, like, all that shit, like, if you thought something, it would be funny to wear the same outfit, like, maybe you would just to be like, like, I think it's funny and I was the one who was traumatized, so obviously she's fine <laughs> yeah I, I yeah i don't know like it's it's i i guess why she why she thought it was funny is is maybe something that that we don't necessarily get yeah, but it might be a trauma response yeah it could be i mean a lot of people joke about trauma so it's just interesting if you watch the video she's in this like white ballerina costume tonya harding is in the most 90s get up it's like bright <laughs> floral pink on a black background and it's a turtleneck and then she's got black those black leggings with the straps that go underneath the skate oh yeah iconic (laughs) (laughs) on february 25 harding finished eighth in the olympics nancy kerrigan having recovered from her injury won the olympic silver behind medalist oksana from ukraine sorry (laughs) so she holds that she's um, innocent. Her plea admissions were knowing of the assault plot after the fact, settling on a cover story with Gilluli and Eckert on January 10th, witnessing payphone calls to Smith affirming the story on January 10 and 11, and lying to FBI with the story on January 18. Law enforcement investigators had been following and videotaping the co-conspirators since January 10. They knew about the the payphone calls. Her penalties included three years of probation, a $100,000 fine, 500 hours of community service. She agreed to reimburse Multnomah County $10,000 in legal expenses, undergo a psychiatric examination, and volunteered to give $50,000 to the Special Olympics Oregon charity. Oregon's sentencing guidelines carried a max penalty of five years prison for the offense. Harding's plea conditions imposed her U.S. Figure Skating Association resignation, necessitating, necessitating her withdrawal from the World Championships for which she was scheduled to leave on March 17. District Attorney Norman Frank stated that if Harding had not agreed to the plea, we would have proceeded with an indictment on all possible charges. Punishment was taking away skating privilege. 
she's banned from the Olympics. Yeah. She has a life ban from the Olympics also. So in Harding's 2008 biography, the Tonya tapes, uh, she stated that she wanted to call the FBI in 94 to reveal what she knew, but decided not to when Gillooly allegedly threatened her with death following a gunpoint gang rape by him and two other men she didn't know. Jeff Stone responded with Gillooly Stone responded with surprise that groundless claims against him could be punished, published and specifically contented her gang rape accusation to be utterly ridiculous. In 2013, Deadspin sought Jeff Stone for an interview, and he again defended himself from gunpoint gang rape allegation. He expressed regret that Harding is often remembered for what I talked her into doing, meaning allegedly plotting to injure Nancy Kerrigan. Stone admitted that his past stupidity was part of Harding's 94 ruin, maintained that he still considered her a great figure skater. Thanks. He, He also said, I've had it easy compared to poor Tonya. She tends to be the butt of the joke. It's kind of sad to me. You don't get to have those opinions, man. Like, yeah. Ugh. In 2014, Nancy Kerrigan addressed the scandal during a brief interview with sportscaster Bob Costas. Whatever apology Tonya has given, I accept it. It's time for all of us. I've always wished Tonya well. She has her own family. I have my family. It's time to make that our focus and move on with our lives. That's good. In the early 2000s, Harding competed as a professional boxer, and her life has been the subject of numerous films, documentaries, books, and academic studies. In 2014, two television documentaries were produced about Harding's life and skating career, Nancy Antonia and The Price of Gold, and aired within two months of each other, inspiring Stephen Rogers to write the 2017 film I, Tonya, starring Margot Robbie as Harding. In 2018, she was a contestant on season 26 of Dancing with the Stars, finishing in third place. In 2019, she won season 16 of Worst Cooks in America Celebrity Edition. Okay. That's a lot to unpack. I didn't know that was a show. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Because she... If they had looked similar, one way or the other, if they'd both Mm -hmm. been athletic or they both looked more like ballerinas, I don't know if this story would have happened. Yeah, they definitely wouldn't have been pitted against each other in the same way. I mean, they I'm I'm sure that figure skaters still get pitted against each other, even oh, if yeah. they all look the part, um, because it is competitive. But women <laughs> but yeah, getting she pitted was... against each other? <laughs> what? Yeah, but but she definitely, because of her looks and her background and the homemade costumes and the fact that she just didn't behave the same way as everyone else, I think definitely. Yeah had an effect and i mean it's the it's the narrative that the olympics like to spin because we're gonna get into that i believe she had um and and i i think it's i think it's relevant at least to like her relationship with galuli but i i believe she had a history of like being abused as a kid as well um and that will that will groom you to be more accepting of abuse in other relationships so it's quite possible that she was afraid to say what she knew until she got to a point where she had to in order to salvage her life and so yeah so in talking about olympic narratives do you remember carrie strong you remember watching that footage of the vault no, I, okay. I don't remember that most of what I have seen of that has actually been really recently because she's been compared to Simone yes. Biles so much. 
okay. Simone Biles has been compared to her so much. So in 92, the winter, the Olympics, so the summer games, gym, we're moving on to gymnastics now. So okay. this is um, in 92, the USA came in for bronze. They won for bronze. The people to beat were Romania and then the Soviet Union. So at the 96, the team, they dubbed the Magnificent Seven. One of those people was Dominique Mochianu, who was the youngest Olympic champion at 14 years old. So you're a 14-year-old at the Olympics for your summer vacation as like you're going to be either going into high school or eighth grade. Like, I feel like that's just a minefield of stuff that's not going to be good for a teenager. Don't worry. It gets worse. (laughs) I want that to be one of our shirts. I don't, don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> we say that pretty frequently. We do. Oh my God. Let us know but, if you would oh, buy just... a shirt that says, don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> okay, so this is, she wrote a book about this. So this is her own words talking about her experience with the Olympics. The time leading up to the 96 Olympics, by the way, this is the Atlanta Olympics. This is where Richard Jewell, all of that stuff went down. The time leading up to the 96 Olympics were the most demanding and stressful of my career. The sport I had loved so much was slowly becoming a nightmare as I trained with Bella and Marta Carioli the summer before the Olympics. I pushed myself as hard as I could, again, 14, but I always felt like I couldn't please them. I kept telling myself that they were just trying to get 100% out of me like any decent coaches, but they're so out of tune with where I was mentally, emotionally, and physically that their tactics having the opposite effect. I was already fiercely competitive and sharply focused on the goal of Olympic gold. After work, after years of work and total dedication, I was so close. I could taste it deep down. I love gymnastics with all my heart. So I was devastated and confused when I began feeling apprehensive about walking into the gym each morning, leading up to the most important competition of my career. I felt unprotected and vulnerable in training. I was so afraid to make mistakes and get reprimanded by my coaches that the joy of the sport, the sport started slipping away. Bella would threaten to call my father Tata whenever I'd make mistakes. Bella knew he had total control over me and he used this power to intimidate me, not to motivate or empower me. And I hated that. At times I envied the relationships I saw between other gymnasts with their coaches at competitions. I remembered what it was like to have someone who demanded everything from me, but who also believed in me and made me feel good about myself. I wanted that security and support back in my corner. Here I was heading into the Olympic games, feeling less confident than ever before with coaches, making sure I knew I wasn't, I wasn't that good. It was obvious that my leg wasn't right. Yeah. So she gets an injury. It was obvious that my leg wasn't right and it was affecting my performances, but the Carriolis did not alter my training in response to the injury. I had seen them push other hurt gymnasts. I had woke, I worked up the nerve to tell Bella and Marta, Marta, a few separate times that I was really hurting and that I knew something was wrong with my leg. They told me there wasn't anything really wrong with me. By then my self-esteem had been chipped away significantly. And I had actually started thinking that they knew me better than I knew myself, even though in truth, they barely knew me at all. Okay. So now we're heading into where Carrie Strong comes in. I didn't realize sorry. Never mind. (laughs) So this is, this is the final day. Like this is like the Olympic final finals. This is the big one, mm-hmm. by the way, their costumes, their unitarns, amazing. We should totally bring those back. Um, 
she did the 14 year old Dominique does the pole vault and she like falls on her, her butt and then stands up. So then they bring in Carrie to try it again. So if you look up on the official like Olympics YouTube, they talked about unforgettable determination and how she did it and she hurt her ankle and then she did it again on a broken ankle. And that's when she lands and she does like the flamingo thing where she's standing on one foot and she's like visibly oh. crying. Like you can tell in her face, she's like, I'm not okay. Um, Carrie and instead struck- of being held up as an example of like how you should listen to your body and yeah. how the athletes should be trusted. It's yeah. a story of perseverance and doing athletic, doing difficult yeah. athletic tasks with broken bones. Awesome. Yeah. Carrie Strug vaulted into Olympic history with her courageous performance during the 96 Olympic Games. Carrie landed an unforgettable vault on an injured ankle to help the U.S. clinch its first Olympic gold medal in the team gymnastics competition. Her emotional performance has earned Carrie a variety of awards and accolades from the Olympic Spirit Award to a spot on the Wheaties box. So I think they they were so desperate mm -hmm. to beat the other two teams that this is part of why this happened. And, and uh, I, I know what I said earlier, but maybe like sounded misleading. I, I, I don't think it didn't take a lot of courage to do that. Like, like definitely she as a person, you know, had mm-hmm. a lot of courage and, you know, was, uh, was very incredible. I just don't think, I don't think the takeaway that other people got from it was correct. Right. I think the takeaway was damaging. So. I liked how this was summed up. This was a post on Facebook that our friend Miranda Crone shared. And I wanted to share it here because it's from, hi, Miranda. Um, This is from a father of two girls who are in gymnastics. So this is from Byron Heath. This realization I had about Simone Biles is going to make some people mad, but oh, well. Yesterday, I was excited to show my daughters Carrie Strug's famous one leg vault. It was a defining Olympic moment that I watched live as a kid and my girls watched rapidly as Strug fell and then limped back to leap again. But for some reason, I wasn't as inspired watching it this time. In fact, I felt a little sick. Maybe being a father and teacher has made me soft, but all I could see was how Carrie Strug looked at her coach, Bella Carioli, with pleading, terrified eyes when he shouted back, you can do it over and over again. My daughters didn't cheer when Strug landed on her second vault. Instead, they frowned in concern as she collapsed in agony and frantic tears. That's also a thing. If you watch the video, she lands and then she falls over as soon as she's done, like making her postures and she's like crying, like visibly, like someone help me. (laughs) Why did she jump again? If she was hurt, one of my girls asked, I made some inane reply about the heart of a champion or Olympic spirit. But in the back of my mind, a thought was festering. She shouldn't have jumped again. The more the thought echoes, the fact that the kid recognizes that is a really good thing and that should be fostered. Right. That means you're you're being a good parent that they know that already. Exactly. Yeah. It means that you were a a much more supportive adult than, um, than she had. So the more the thought echoed, the stronger my realization became coach Carioli should have gotten his visibly injured athlete medical help immediately. Now that I have two young daughters in gymnastics, I expect their safety to be the coach's number one priority. Instead, Bella Carioli told Strug to vault again, and he got what he wanted a gold medal that was more important to him than his athlete's health. So after she wins, like he's holding her in his arms with her broken ankle. So like he gets to be part of this like mm. courageous moment. Like he's yeah. Ugh, that's gross. 
I'm sure people will say Carrie Strug was a competitor. She wanted to push through the injury. That's probably true. But since the last Olympics, we've also learned that these athletes were put into positions where they could be systematically abused, both emotionally and physically, all while being inundated with win at all costs messaging. A teenager under those conditions should have been protected and told no metal is worth the risk of permanent injury. In fact, we now know that Strug's vault wasn't even necessary to clinch the gold. The U.S. had already had an insurmountable lead. Nevertheless, Bella Carioli told her to vault again, according to his own recounting of their conversation. I can't feel my leg, Strug told Carioli. We've got to go one more time, he said. Shake it out. Do I have to do this again? Can you? Can you now? Carioli wanted to know. I don't know yet, said Strug. I will do it. I will. I will. The injury forced Strug's retirement at 18 years old. Uh. (sighs) Dominique... Mochinu, a generational talent, the 14-year-old, also retired from injuries shortly after. Their top gymnasts literally pushed to the breaking point and then put out to pasture. Coach Carioli and Larry Nasser, the serial sexual abuser. Ugh, Larry Nasser, fucking. I know who that is. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Continued their long careers while the athletes were treated as disposable resource. Okay, that's why I knew the coach's name. I was wondering how I knew this random coach's name, and that makes sense because he was probably <laughs> yeah. mentioned or featured in Athlete A on Netflix. Which, yep. if anyone hasn't seen Athlete A, trigger warning, it's horrifying. Trigger warning, yeah. But it is, but it's very important for that information to get out there because I, I think yeah. that particularly it seems like gymnasts have been. Uh, the and I maybe it's just I don't know about all the other sports and what's going on but it seems like gymnasts have been really fucked over by the people who should care about them yep today Simone Biles the greatest gymnast of all time the goat a goat chose to I I really can I say something real quick I really appreciate that everybody's calling Simone Biles the goat and not motherfucking Tom Brady because (laughs) fuck that guy he's not the goat not that great whatever no one gives a shit about your white feelings tom brady okay today simone biles the goat chose to step back from the competition citing concerns for mental and physical health i've already seen on comments and posts about how biles failed her country quit on us or can't be the greatest if she can't handle the pressure those statements are no different she's already the greatest so fuck off yeah like, also, you're watching from your couch, like, shut up. Your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> she can't be the greatest of blah, blah, blah. Well, she is the greatest. And that, like, contributed to the fact that they didn't want to score her as high. Yeah, we'll get into that in another yeah. episode. Can't be the greatest if she can't handle the pressure. Those statements are no different than Coach Carioli telling an injured teen with wide, frightened eyes, we got to go one more time, shake it out. The subtext here is our gold medal is more important than your well-being. Our athletes shouldn't have to destroy themselves to meet our standards. If giving empathetic, authentic support to our Olympians means we'll earn less gold medals, I'm happy to make that trade. So there's a lot of narrative in the Olympics and how we see them about how they're portrayed because we're not seeing them live we've only ever seen olympics on a screen so it gets filtered and edited before it reaches us um i think that's becoming different now with these documentaries coming out with um social media and the way olympians are able to speak out for themselves yeah say things like whenever Simone was Can you like, imagine if Tanya Harding could have had like Twitter? Oh my God. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> if, and she probably would have gotten herself in a lot of trouble, I would imagine. 
or if Nancy Kerrigan had had an Instagram that she probably yeah. wasn't running herself. Like, uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, um, I just these stories are significant because we have to keep in mind how we're being told about the Olympics and the kind of image the Olympics are trying to upkeep and how it's becoming. I don't know if it ever really was about athleticism in this new type of Olympics that got started with the French guy that we talked about last, last episode. Like I think in, in mm-hmm. ancient Greece that, yeah, those were definitely about athletic feats for men. <laughs> but, Except for the emperor who declared himself the winner of a chariot oh race after he, fall, after he fell off. <laughs> that guy, that guy went on to become a colonizer for, yeah. I would say he did a lot of worse things than that, but still context is really important. And the, the fact of the matter is we're never really going to know people's stories. We're never yeah. going to know everything. We can't. We're just watching. And, we're and literally people, just watching. And the people judging Olympians for, I mean, like, for take example, uh, Simone Biles, like, you have no idea what her life is like. Like, yeah. literally, like, there's almost no one out there who knows what her life is like that people like even people close to her don't know the mental and emotional pressure she's under in addition to the physical difficulties as well so like mm -hmm. you can't you can't make the judgment that like they should do this or shouldn't do this or like you know you can't be the greatest of blah 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 like you can't make those kind of judgments unless you understand what it's like a lot of gymnasts are speaking in support of Simone because of what she she claims she got the twisties which is I guess whenever you have like a mind body separation in the air and that's how people get really severely Mm. injured and they're like she absolutely made the right decision that's how people get really injured and it's really good that she said something about it yeah so again we're gonna wait till the Olympics are over to really dive into all the stuff that is happening and will happen with the Olympics. But um, yeah. until then, <laughs> we're just going to cover everything else that has happened that is shitty. <laughs> uh, my shout out is all those people. And yeah. if you're going to talk about the backflip, you should know that her name was Surya Bonnelly. And it's called the Bonnelly when she does the backflip. And just yeah. remember, every time you see a black, black athlete, they had to work a million times harder than everybody else there yeah and they're probably making less money than their weight counterparts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being chosen for fewer endorsement deals which also means making less money uh, yeah because uh you don't you're not paid to be an olympian yeah that's true you're not so which seems dumb yeah i always forget about that i'm just like yeah the money they're getting is from like sponsorships and yep. endorsement deals and stuff like that it's not it's yep. not like they're getting a paycheck yep oh yeah that's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I'm starting to know how I feel, I think, about uh, teenagers, particularly minors, participating in the Olympics. There's 12-year-olds right now it, at the Olympics. I just feel like, like, I, I understand that in order to compete at that level, you basically have to uh, start at a young age for whatever you're doing. You right. Know? Like, I, I understand that, but I think that putting people in such heavy competition at a young age and i'm not like i am not against uh i'm not against competition like i'm not even against competition for kids i just think that we need to sort of 
temper the way that we talk about it in the same way that we do with other things you know like there's other yep. things where you're like we can talk about like you, if you, you talk about death with a kid it's not the same as the way you talk about it with another adult so like competition for a 12 year old shouldn't be the same as competition for like a 20 year old right you know like, like I, I I I don't know I I think I'm kind of at the point where I feel like the Olympics should be an 18 and over activity because right. otherwise where do you draw that line Right. You know, I think it makes the most sense to draw that line is at adulthood. Yeah. Even though 18 year olds are still going to have, you know, the, their own fair share of difficulty and all that. And like, when do you actually mature, et cetera, et right. cetera. But that's when all the other 18 year olds yeah. are released into the wild. So. Yeah. So, so I like, if you have to make some call, I guess I would say at the age that in most countries you're considered a legal adult is yeah. a, a good call to make. Yep. Because otherwise you're just so. Like, like, I mean, looking at the, the suggestion that Carrie Strug like wanted to do the, uh, the, the, the vault on her broken ankle, <laughs> uh, yeah. just thinking about that. I think you can want to do things for a variety of reasons and they don't necessarily all have to do with what you in your heart actually want. And especially yeah. if you're that young and you're being managed by so many adults who have so many expectations and like their careers and their financial lives are depending on you that, that you basically coerced into wanting it. For those, for those uh, following along, Griffin has returned home this week. So he just came in here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap this up now. Rosie. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, I do want to mention our Patreon uh www.patreon.com slash a big knowledge of everything uh we have tiers as low as three dollars and pretty soon here we're going to be recording an episode or two that are going to be patreon only yep. uh so go ahead and check that out uh also we are on instagram yep and we a very active email. instagram yeah, it's a pretty active add. instagram yeah like I, I always post for every uh, it's actually due to the fact that I've been active on our podcast Instagram. I posted almost nothing on my personal Instagram for a very long time because <laughs> I just like I'm like ah whatever I don't have time. But the but I do try to post for every single episode, sometimes multiple times depending on what it is. So um, hopefully we'll be throwing up some pictures of the women we've talked about today. And yeah, yeah. I want to give a shout out to all these people, and then also. Dicks for good, Brendan Reed and uh, Professor Ryan, because because we haven't shouted them out in a minute. <laughs> and yeah, Rob. we haven't. <laughs> yeah, and my friend Wob. Yeah, Hi, Wob. All the people who have uh, who have helped us on our podcast and yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, as always, I am Rosie, and facts matter. I'm Hope, and now that you know better, don't fucking expect to know everything about Olympians. <laughs> <laughs> they get to be people too yeah